Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hello there, and welcome to Catholic Conversations. I'm Steph, and today we're going to be doing one of my all-time favorite things, talk about books. So snuggle up in a cozy chair, grab a plush blanket, and grab your warm cup of coffee or cocoa, or I guess if you're a tea person, you can, you know, grab that too. And welcome to Steph's Book Nook. So our first book today that we'll start with is Life is Messy by Matthew Kelly. Some background, this book was published in 2021 by Blue Sparrow. And here is the excerpt from the back of the book. Life is messy. It isn't a color within the lines exercise. It's wild and outrageous invitation full of uncertain outcomes. The mess of life is both inevitable and unexpected. It is filled with delightful mysteries and frustrating predicaments. In our disposable culture, we throw broken things away. So what do we do with broken people, broken relationships, broken institutions, broken families, and of course, our very own broken selves? We are all broken and wounded. This book is about putting our lives back together and allowing ourselves to be put back together when life doesn't turn out as we expected it to. Based on his own heart-wrenching personal journals, Matthew Kelly shares how the worst three years of, of his life affected him by exploring this question, can someone who has been broken be healed and become more beautiful and more lovable than ever before? The answer will fill you with hope. There is, has never been a more urgent need for us to attend to what is happening within us. This is quite simply the right book at the right time. Now, I decided to pull a couple of quick samples from the book so that you guys can get sort of his style in this one. Um, this book, I at least I feel, is pretty different than his other books. So here's a little bit um, in case you have the book. This is from page 34 from the section titled, Have That Conversation. There is a conversation that you need to have. You know it. You may be avoiding it. Whatever conversation you are most afraid to have is probably the conversation you need most right now. And then I pulled a second section for you. It is from the section, The Normalization of Evil, um, on page 38, if you have the book. What is evil? Evil is defined as profoundly immoral. The definition itself holds the reason for the escalating evil in our world, though it may not be obvious at first. It all hinges on the word immoral. The word immoral presents an intricate problem for our culture. Morality is almost never mentioned. I cannot recall the last time I heard the mainstream media describe something as immoral, Every type of perversion and depravity have become someone's personal preference and right. When we pretend that there is no such thing as right and wrong, good and bad, this will inevitably lead to the proliferation of evil, and it has. When immorality becomes your morality, you are profoundly lost, and immorality has become the morality of an alarming number of the most influential people in our society— so those are those two sections that I picked out to read for you today. So as I said, this book was a little bit different than previous Matthew Kelly books that I've read. Um, first of all, the layout of the book. Now, because the topic of the book, Life is Messy, it's a bit more depressing, I would say, than other Matthew Kelly books. The topics are more introspective and a little bit more sad about betrayal and hurting. 
um, than I remember Matthew Kelly discussing in any of his previous books. He acknowledges that he's been living through some of the most difficult years of his life recently, and that for the first time, he, at the end of the year, reflects on his whole year and feels like like that year was worse than the previous one. He even states that when the simple task of getting out of bed seems far too difficult, he had to tell himself that this was just his life right now, not his life forever. And from somebody who always has seemed a bit more upbeat to me, it threw me off from the get-go on this one. Now, the book's structure is also interesting in that each of the chapters, and I use finger quotes that you can't see, it's the chapters are about two pages or less, and they jump from topic to topic. Now, Matthew Kelly mentions that this book w- was not as edited as his previous ones and was a bunch of little writings that he had written that were all thrown together into a single book. So it gives the book more of a messy feeling, which is great for if you're sitting down and only have five minutes or so. Like if you're picking up your kid from school, you're sitting for a little bit, you want to pull out a book, read a little chapter. Um, It works great for that. For me, however, um, I have to dedicate time to read when the kids are asleep. So it's more like a half hour of reading time for me. And for this reason, I felt like it was bit more difficult to focus, and it had me feeling more unsettled jumping from topic to topic. Again, I think some people might love this. They might love the short chapters. I just found it a little bit more difficult to focus um, and to keep my brain from wandering away. And in terms of the topics of this one, I would like to cover just a couple of them. The first of these is talking about the brokenness of all of us. Matthew Kelly states, quote, I am broken, pretending otherwise is exhausting, end quote. And isn't that the truth? We're all a little bit broken, even the best of us. And this brokenness is part of what makes us beautiful, and it also makes us wise. One of the aspects of Catholicism that I absolutely adore is reconciliation, not just because it's beautiful how God can forgive all of our sins, no matter how bad they are, and give us absolution in person, but because as Catholics, we're asked to acknowledge our sins out loud. There's something very therapeutic about doing that. And as somebody who has recently joined the Catholic Church and was Protestant before this, one of my biggest pet peeves of Christians in general is that um, a lot of them, not all of them, but some, some of them, can act like they're better than other people, holier than other people, that their religion makes them somehow more on track with things, which is fine to feel maybe, but um, but seeing it and noticing it as a as a very obvious trait of somebody was always kind of a turnoff for certain Christianities. Now, I think Catholicism's unique in the fact that we're asked to do the examination of conscience, and it gives people a more realistic view of their own faults. Um, and the things that they've done that aren't great or that are wrong. And it sort of it sort of makes you think about how you can improve, right? So if you're struggling with something and you know it's not great, um, because of reconciliation, you're thinking about it more, you're acknowledging it, you're talking about it out loud even. And it's so refreshing um, to to know that people are doing that and even just the physical seeing people in line for reconciliation. 
you know, seeing those people, you can say, oh, I'm not the only sinner. And the line, this line is proof. We're all terrible human beings. Um, but all joking aside, it it's the brokenness that I think is, it's unique to Catholicism that we're more willing, maybe willing's not the right word. We're more, we're asked to look at those, those broken parts of us and try to move on. Um, just as long as it doesn't, you know, make us feel like we're worth less. Um, now, speaking of being worth less or feeling worth less, um, Matthew Kelly brings up one of the ways that we as human beings have become more flawed, and that is the normalization of immorality. And I read some of some of that section that I read earlier kind of touches on this. Um, he mentions that something that he's noticed increasing over the years is that the process of normalizing immorality, he says, is gradually and by repetition. Quote, we become the stories we read, hear, and watch, end quote. Um, so today, I'm sure most of you have noticed, where the news cycle is getting quicker and quicker. Um, there are movies and TVs that are streaming on every device, and digital and audiobooks. Now, all of these are available on our phones. It's just a click away, right? You keep your phone in your pocket. You have unlimited news or entertainment. We almost can't even get away from it. Even on vacation, having your phone with you, you'll get alerts for things, and you, you can't ever get away unless you make the conscious effort to do so. Even me, I've become a person who always had po- always has podcasts running um, through headphones when I'm you know at, at work working or if I'm driving from place to place I've got something playing and now Matthew Kelly even describes the internet as Pandora's box which I think is a really interesting comparison and I don't think he's wrong on this you know once you get on the internet once you get in there it's sort of lots of frightening things can be found and can happen there um, and it may seem really great, and it can be great if you use it correctly, but it's very easy to fall into, you know, all all the ways the internet can be horrible. So in this, um, he says that we've been in, inundated with everything and that the most important things we've become sort of indifferent to. A news site might have an article about a mass shooting that's, right next to an article about a dog having 18 puppies. You know, information's just coming at us and it's not necessarily the most important information first. And I'm not sure if young people will recognize this phrase, but I know a lot of people who have gotten, you know, physical paper newspapers, you always had the above the fold story, the most important story. And it was very clear what was the most important and okay, yeah, you'd have the little the story about a dog having a crazy amount of puppies or, you know, somebody saving a cat from a tree, but that would be smaller and towards the back of the newspaper. And so I think we've lost a lot of that, um, of knowing what's important, and we're sort of becoming more desensitized to those things. Now, speaking of what's important, I think it's time for our first break. So we'll be right back with Catholic Conversations here on Catholic Spirit Radio. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Catholic parishes in central Illinois will soon begin their RCIA courses. 
RCIA, The Right of Christian Initiation for Adults, is a course designed for anyone interested in learning more about the Catholic faith or living it more fully. Perhaps your spouse is Catholic and you have long considered entering the Catholic Church. Maybe you're an active Catholic who has not received all the sacraments of Christian initiation. Perhaps you left the Catholic Church long ago and want your questions and concerns answered before returning. Maybe you're a non-Catholic Christian or not a Christian at all and want to know more about the Catholic Church and the one true God. If any of these circumstances is like your own, then RCIA is just what you need. RCIA classes typically include presentations, discussions, prayer, and fellowship. Contact a Catholic parish near you today for details and to register. Be certain to tell others and feel free to bring a friend. Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks, others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to CatholicSpiritRadio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-CARS. Welcome back to Catholic Conversations. You're here with me, Steph, in my little book nook of the radio. We're going to go over some thoughts I had regarding Matthew Kelly's book, Life is Messy. So we're going to pick up on the topic of not understanding what's important in life and how people are normalizing immorality. And I'd like to look a little bit more at the internet. So we share our lives with the internet through Facebook and all sorts of other social media platforms, some of which I've probably never heard of at this point because I am a mom and, you know, want to not corrupt my whole life. And this leads to a lot of increased gossip and ultimately some dehumanization. Now, it's not just people that we see in our daily lives who can gossip and judge what we do. Because we're posting so much about our lives, it's now the entirety of the world. They they don't necessarily, because some of, some of them, right, haven't met me if they're, we're in a shared group. And so they don't necessarily see me as a human being. I'm just an internet person. And they might never have to meet me. They might never have to communicate with me in person. And so there's no longer that little bit of grace that people have to let other people be flawed and make mistakes. And everything online is so permanent and traceable. I mean, we see this all the time with, you know, quote unquote cancellations, right? People will dig up an old tweet, an old post from 20 years ago and really ruin your life from that. And so Matthew Kelly in the book states, quote, the future needs to be re needs to rehumanize people and restore human dignity, end quote. And I think this is 100% on target. I think we've, you know, see, we've seen these people get judged for all these things they've said years and years ago when culture was very different. And you have to think, where did we lose that grace to see people as fellow human beings? We need to go back to seeing others as flawed, yes, but also beautiful. And we all have things that we can look back on with discomfort at how we acted or what we said, every single one of us. And we're all struggling through life, but in our own 
little bit different ways. One of my favorite pieces of literature is A Christmas Carol. And in it, the great Charles Dickens wrote, quote, men and women seem by one consent to open their shut up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they were really fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures beyond creatures bound on other journeys. Now, he might have been specifically talking about the time at Christmas, but I think what the world needs is to view their fellow man as companions to life. We need to help each other through our own brokenness and try to help one another put the pieces of our lives back together. I mean, after all, all of us are ultimately headed towards death anyway. So now that I've brought up the really uncomfortable topic of death, let's talk about how people don't like to feel uncomfortable. One of the things that Matthew Kelly mentions is society's emphasis on comfort. We're told by the world that personal comfort and happiness should take place over everything else. I mean, isn't that why there's so much divorce? There's abortion. There's a lack of personal responsibility. People want to do away with unhappiness and discomfort as quickly and simply as possible, which obviously isn't always the moral choice. Kelly points out that too much comfort can even cause pain. He says, quote, if you want to destroy people, make them comfortable. It can act almost like an addiction. The more comfortable you are, the more you can crave it. And I've known people who have let their desire for comfort take over to the point where making any sort of change is paralyzing. They stay miserable in the same job or in the same apartment or in the same town. And then they wonder why certain things in their lives aren't the way they want them to be. Or they want additional things and they don't seem to understand how to get there necessarily. And they may not realize that they're letting comfort run their lives. And sometimes... Now, I'm going to let you in on a little Stephanie secret here. Sometimes I really just want to turn to these people who are stuck and tell them, let me run your life for the next month and let me see if I can make it better. But alas, I cannot just make everyone see what I see. (laughs) But I do think that, you know, it's the comfort thing has become a real big issue, especially since this pandemic right? You see people all the time. People were being paid to stay home. People weren't feeling like they needed to go to work. Now, I do think there are some people who, yes, it's probably, you know, more safe under certain circumstances to stay home. But now that we're sort of going back to hopefully how things used to be, it's some people are having a really hard time finding that motivation to get up and apply for another job or, you know, People are wanting to leave their jobs for jobs that can be fully remote, which can be a great thing. But if they're doing it for the right reasons, um, we don't want a whole bunch of people who are just comfortable and then wanting to stay in their own comfortable way. Um, So something to think about. So one of the ideas that Matthew Kelly presents in this book is one that I either disagree with or that I don't completely understand what he was saying. So he says that we should strive for simplicity in life, which makes sense to me. However, he uses the example of getting a dog. Now he says that it's not just one decision to get a dog. It's not just, yes, I want one, let's go get one. 
It's a thousand little decisions over the next 12 years or so of owning that dog that you're making. You know, you've got the vet appointments, you have to take the dogs on walks, you have to let the dog out to go to the bathroom. I totally understand what he's saying there. He makes the argument that we need to really evaluate whether we want to make all these decisions. And as someone who has two dogs, yes. In my household, dog adoption is for the entirety of the dog's life. There's no going back on that one unless absolute necessity dictates it. In fact, when we got our second one, the amount of times I just wanted to say, nope, not doing this. Um, and my husband said, sorry, this was for life. Um, it's, it's, always, it's always a good reminder. However, so this is where I start to disagree with Matthew Kelly. He seems to indicate that one should not strive for making these types of decision, that this decision overcomplicates life. And this is what he wrote on the issue. Only you can decide if you will adopt the true love of simplicity or be seduced by the illusions of complexity. Unless simplicity is a goal, one that we work to accomplish and defend relentlessly, our lives will increasingly become complex, overwhelming, and unmanageable. One thing always leads to another if we let it. Allow the wisdom of simplicity to guide each decision you make. Again, I agree that people tend to make things more complicated than needed. I have always been, and you can ask anybody who knows me, a huge proponent proponent of just saying how you feel, plain and simple. Even if you have to tell your spouse that you're angry at them and exactly why. I don't really believe in the playing games around emotions or trying to manipulate things when you can just say what you need or what's needed. Um, Like I always tell my husband, I want you to get me a birthday gift and here are some things that I would like. (laughs) So that way I don't have the disappointment of him forgetting it's my birthday or him getting me something I really don't like. Um, I, you know, I can expect for him to know me, but I ultimately know what I want more than he does. So why not give, why not give him a little bit of help? So All this said, I don't quite understand Kelly's talk about getting a dog. Now, accepting responsibility and ownership for more complex and complicated things can be also extremely rewarding. Owning dogs was a wonderful step in my marriage that really brought out the good and bad to how we would end up parenting our children in the future. Our dogs have brought joy and light even to the worst situations, And their unrelenting love for us can be extremely comforting. Now, the same you could also say for having children. I don't think any parent will say that deciding to have children was the simple choice. Far from it. Having children has overcomplicated our lives tenfold. But that doesn't mean it's not worth it. There are some things where the rewards just outweigh the complexity it adds to your life. So maybe I'm missing Matthew Kelly's point on this, or maybe my joy of having pets is much more important to me than for Matthew Kelly, but the way he expressed his ideas left me strongly disagreeing. I've always felt that the more life you have in your homes, even if it adds complexity, frustration, drama, noise, you name it, it's always worth it. Now, I'm not entirely sure my husband would agree with me on that, 
as every time I see a dog when we're on a walk, I feel this pain in my chest because I can't pet all the dogs. Um, but I think you would probably agree with me, at least on that point. More life is always more complicated, but ultimately more fun. So the last few sections of the book discuss your personal view of yourself. Ultimately, you have to live with the decisions you make and the person that you are. It doesn't matter what others think of you or how they view you. Kelly suggests that you look in the mirror and talk to yourself every day. Listen to what you say to yourself as you look yourself in the eye. It might be uncomfortable, but you will ultimately tell yourself what you need to hear. Now, Matthew Kelly includes a poem that I'd like to read. Um, it's by Dale Windbrow. Windbrow? Windbrow. I'm really bad with names. Titled, The Guy in the Glass. When you get what you want in your struggle for pelf and the world makes you king for a day, then go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that guy has to say. For it isn't your father or mother or wife whose judgment upon you must pass. The feller whose verdict counts more in your life is the guy staring back from the glass. He's the feller to please, never mind all the rest, for he's with you clear up to the end. And you've passed your most dangerous, difficult test if the guy in the glass is your friend. You may be like Jack Horner and chisel a plum and think you're a wonderful guy, but the man in the glass says you're only a bum if you can't look him straight in the eye. You can fool the whole world down the pathway of years and get pats on the back as you pass, but your final reward will be heartaches and tears if you've cheated the guy in the glass. Now, I think that's most of my thoughts about Life is Messy. If you're interested in reading the book for yourself, you can check your local parish library. Or, I looked this up, and I think you can do this. You can go to lifeismessybook.org, and I believe you can request a free copy. I'm not entirely sure, but it's worth checking out if you have interest in this. So we'll be back after a short break to discuss a different book here on Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Get pumped. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. The next Catholic Spirit Radio pilgrimage is September 29th through 30th. We'll be going to Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica. We'll tour the Mother Angelica Museum and visit the Rhoda Weiss Miracle House. Rhoda had the stigmata and interceded for the curing of Mother's physical ailment. This bus trip also includes a tour of St. Mother Theodore Guerin Shrine at St. Mary of the Woods, Indiana. Check the Catholic Spirit Radio website for details. Catholic parishes in central Illinois will soon begin their RCIA courses. RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults, is a course designed for anyone interested in learning more about the Catholic faith or living it more fully. Perhaps your spouse is Catholic and you have long considered entering the Catholic Church. Maybe you're an active Catholic who has not received all the sacraments of Christian initiation. Perhaps you left the Catholic Church long ago and want your questions and concerns answered before returning. Maybe you're a non-Catholic Christian or not a Christian at all and want to know more about the Catholic Church and the one true God. If any of these circumstances is like your own, then RCIA is just what you need. RCIA classes typically include presentations, discussions, prayer, and fellowship. Contact a Catholic parish near you today for details and to register. Be certain to tell others and feel free to bring a friend.
Welcome back to Steph's Book Nook on Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. We are going to switch gears from Matthew Kelly's Life is Messy. We're going to hop on a plane and head to Medjugorje to discuss Medjugorje, My Lifelong Journey with Our Lady, Queen of Peace by Penny Albruzis. Now, I will warn you ahead of time that while I am discussing this book, I will, in fact, butcher every name that I read. Um, Names of cities, towns, people, it's all going to be bad on this end. Um, I'll try to be consistent in my wrongness, but I can't even promise that at this point. So just an apology on the onset. Um, So background information, this book was published in 2021 by On Route Books and Media. Here is the excerpt. Amidst a period of suffering, Penny Abruzis hears that the Virgin Mary was appearing to six children at Medjugorje in Bosnia, gosh, here's the first name, Herzegovina. Wondering if Our Lady can comfort her still grieving heart, Penny journeys on a pilgrimage to Medjugorje, unaware that this journey and search for healing would change her life in ways that she never could have imagined. Along the way, she is inspired to look into the depths of her soul and ask questions about her faith. Do people really believe in miracles? Are apparitions real, and can they truly change someone's life? Once there, she miraculously received the grace to communicate with Our Lady. Hearing from her, Mary gives you hope. Our Lady's ongoing messages propel Penny to a new way of life. Her heart is opened with a new focus on helping people she once ignored— the lost souls, the sick, and the disabled. In response, Penny leads more than 100 pilgrimages with countless pilgrims, witnessing abundant grace and many miracles. She finds the answer to all her questions. Yes, miracles and healings do happen. This book tells the story of Penny's 36-year journey in which she gives of herself for others, finding hope and the faith to share that hope with those she encounters along the way. Penny's story is one that will inspire anyone to believe that miracles do happen, especially on a journey of trials and tears. So I've pulled out a quick little sample for you so that you can get a feel for how the book is written, laid out, styled. So this is um, from the last bit of the book. I promise, well, I don't promise I'm not going to spoil things. Hopefully I'm not spoiling anything for you in this. Um, so if you have a copy of the book, it's page, starting in page 197. So here we go. 35 years still seems unimaginable to me, especially as we arrived home only last week, writing in the fall of 2019, for my 102nd pilgrimage to Medjugorje. To say that our Lord saved me because he delighted in me is a reality that every day I still try to process because of my unworthiness. Through the grace of God, Our Lady has brought me to cherish my faith through these 35 years, and I am ever grateful. Back in 1981, the year before Chucky took his life, I did not even attend Mass on Christmas. I was too busy getting ready to host Mike's family in our home for dinner. Before I was blessed to be broken by Chucky's suicide, I am embarrassed to say that I felt the unflattering term of being a creaster. Catholics who only attend Mass on Christmas and Easter, possibly applied to me. I say blessed because through Chucky's suicide, I found a path through Christ as to how to deal with the heartbreak. It has been an incredible journey, a journey of love, pain, prayer, obstacles, healing, 
struggles, and an abundance of joy, grace, and a daily conversion I strive for, but so often fail to do. Our Lady's message of September 25th, 2016, really speaks to my heart and describes my walk with God alongside of Our Lady of Medjugorje as my teacher. Dear children, today I am calling you to prayer. May prayer be life to you. Only in this way will your heart be filled with peace and joy. God will be near you, and you will feel him in your heart as a friend. You will speak with him as with someone whom you know, and, little children, you will have a need to witness, because Jesus will be in your heart and you united in him. I am with you and love all of you with my motherly love. Thank you for having responded to my call. Yes, I have a need to witness and also a responsibility. Much will be required of the person entrusted with much, and still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. Luke twelve forty eight. I received grace upon grace, but also struggle upon struggle. It is through daily Mass and beginning a formative life of prayer that I am able to continue my journey. Every time I fall, Our Lady picks me up and brushes me off and places me gently back on my feet to begin again a constant job for her. The most important lesson I have learned is to keep my eyes fixed on God's goodness rather than my own wretchedness. February 2nd, 2017. Dear children, you are striving to offer every day of your life to my son. You are trying to live with him. You who are praying, sacrificing. You are hope in this peaceless world. You are rays of light of my son, a living gospel. You are my beloved apostles of love. My son is with you. He is with those who think of him, those who pray. But in the same way, he is patiently waiting for those who do not know him. Therefore, you, apostles of my love, pray with the heart and with your works. Show the love of my son. This is the only hope for you, and this is also the only way to eternal life. I, as a mother, I am here with you. Your prayers directed to me are the most beautiful roses of love for me. I cannot but be where I sense the scent of roses. There is hope. Thank you. So that was just a little bit from the end, um, the last chapter in this book. Um, So one of the things that I feel like this book lacks is a background of information on Medjugorje. But fear not, I took on this burden so that you don't need to, unless you want to, which I would super suggest as I found out some really interesting information and some great topics of future conversations. So most of the information I have was taken from Medjugorje.org or from Wikipedia. Yes, I know Wikipedia is not the greatest source all the time, but I have two kids under two and that's the best I could do. So Medjugorje is a town in Bosnia, Herzegovina, Herzegovina butchered that one. In June of 1981, Our Lady began began appearing to six children and young adults. They are called visionaries and spanned the ages of 13 to 20. Ivan, Yakov, Maria, Mirjana, Vika, and Ivanka. So Mary would appear each day at 6.40 p.m. to deliver messages to them and would continue to do so until all six of the visionaries had received the 10 secrets. So to this day, 40 million people have visited Medjugorje, and the apparitions are still continuing. Merhana, Yakov, and Ivanka have received all 10 of the secrets, 
but they do continue to have Mary appear to them at least once a year, if not more often. Maria, Vicka, and Ivan have received nine of the ten secrets, so they still see Mary each day. Once the apparitions end and all the visionaries have received all the secrets, Mary said that she will visit a priest and warn him of three big things to come. One of the visionaries has claimed that Satan came and visited her, telling her to stop believing in the apparitions and were tempting her away from the church. One of the visionaries claimed that there was a warning of something that was going to happen, but it didn't, thanks to the prayers and fasting of the faithful. Now, some people who follow what Our Lady says at Medjugorje believe that in order to fully understand her messages, we must study them all. They kind of explained it as a mosaic of messages, and that one day the messages all together will show an even greater message. So from Medjugorje.org, I've pulled a little bit of information in their overview section. I think it's, it's a really good description. So here it is. The technique of teaching which Our Lady uses re-educates us to be Christians. She accomplishes this by walking with us and guiding us step by step, message by message. Today, many people think it is not important to be a Christian. Others want to live a superficial form of Christianity, which is easier or more convenient than living a true Christian life. Our Lady wants to show us through her messages the real face of Christianity. This is a long process because we as a society have strayed far from the truth and God and are slow to learn. This is true both in the church and outside the church. We have to accept being totally re-educated little by little by the mother of God. The problem with mankind is not so much that people have bad intentions. There are plenty of good-hearted people. The problem is that we sometimes don't see the truth. We are in darkness and many of us are just blind. We do not realize that we have put ourselves into the hands of Satan because we do not know how to tell the difference between right and wrong. Many of us become an image of Satan without even knowing it. I don't think that anyone could argue, regardless of religious orientation, that today's world is in a state of crisis. All one has to do is read the newspaper or watch television to see how eroded the morals of our world have become. It is shocking to see and hear the examples of terrorism, inhumanity, cruelty, violence, abuse, drugs, war, crime, etc., etc. Many of the world has strayed far from a life centered around God and family. The answers which we need to redirect our life can be found by reading and living Our Lady's messages and scripture. So that was from the website. Um, now, one of the things that Mary has has communicated to us through the visionaries are five weapons or stones to defeat Satan. Now, they're called stones, sort of like the stones that David has to defeat Goliath. And these five are, one, daily prayer, especially of the rosary, Two, fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. Three, the daily reading of the Bible. Four, monthly confession. And five, Holy Mass. Now, I think all of these things we can get behind and strive to do, even if we are skeptical of the validity of the apparitions. I think these are a pretty solid five things. And now that we have a little bit of an idea of what Medjugorje is even about, I do want to mention the view of the Catholic Church on this. Now, I'm no expert on this. This is just what I pulled from the internet. Um, so hopefully, it's a good overview. Now, both Pope St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI had doubts about the validity of Medjugorje. Some sources say that Pope St. John Paul II 
has told people close to him that if he was not the Pope, he would have visited Medjugorje. Now, that doesn't mean that he necessarily believes in the validity of it, but he did say that he would have liked to have gone. Pope Francis has also been a bit skeptical. He has said that he has some stronger beliefs in the validity of the early apparitions, which I believe they are the first 13 of them, but he's unsure of the more recent ones. Now, in May of 2019, he did lift the ban on organized pilgrimages that had been previously put in place. So now you can join an organized pilgrimage to go, and that's not against the church at all. Now, one thing to consider when looking at the validity of the apparitions is that there are a bit of politics behind it. Now, I don't know a lot about politics outside of the U.S., but there was a lot of movement and concern around communism spreading at that time and communist regimes coming and going. I honestly can't follow a lot of what all has happened, and I'm sure one of our deacons has a much better idea of communism and the influence of Catholicism on all of that, or the priests. Um, So I'm not an expert on that. And when Mary allegedly started appearing, um, and then more pilgrims started traveling to Medjugorje, and the number of those people increased, the secular government did see it as a good opportunity for religious tourism and did try to promote it more. And then there were also some, so that was the secular political issues. There were also some internal Catholic political issues. I didn't dive very deeply into that. There were some issues with Franciscans and the bishop. There were some apparition messages that were pretty pointed about certain priests and bishops. So there was just a lot of tension, I think, behind some of that. Now, I'm pretty unsure what my own beliefs are about Medjugorje. I'm a pretty skeptical anyway, anytime I hear of of these sort of mystical experiences. Um, So I'm still in the, I would like for it to be real, but I'm not entirely convinced that it is type camp of that. Um, But that doesn't mean that my mind can't be changed. I think there could be a good argument for Pope Francis's opinion on it that maybe it started off as real, but then politics got in the way. Maybe they're not as real anymore. I really don't know. I'm very unsure. Um, So don't necessarily just think what I think on it. I think it's a really interesting argument to have and conversations to have. And I'm really excited to see what future information comes out about this about the apparitions, because they are still happening, they are still ongoing, and I think the the church, I'm sure, will put in more time to investigate it when all of, all of those end. So that's the information I gathered on that, and so it's a great time for a break. When we come back, we'll get into Medjugorje, my lifelong journey with Our Lady Queen of Peace with Catholic Conversations here on Catholic Spirit Radio. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks, others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to CatholicSpiritRadio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-CARS. 
The next Catholic Spirit Radio pilgrimage is September 29th through 30th. We'll be going to Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica. We'll tour the Mother Angelica Museum and visit the Rhoda Weiss Miracle House. Rhoda had the stigmata and interceded for the curing of Mother's physical ailment. This bus trip also includes a tour of St. Mother Theodore Guerin Shrine at St. Mary of the Woods, Indiana. Check the Catholic Spirit Radio website for details. Catholic parishes in Central Illinois will soon begin their RCIA courses. RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults, is a course designed for anyone interested in learning more about the Catholic faith or living it more fully. Perhaps your spouse is Catholic and you have long considered entering the Catholic Church. Maybe you're an active Catholic who has not received all the sacraments of Christian initiation. Perhaps you left the Catholic Church long ago and want your questions and concerns answered before returning. Maybe you're a non-Catholic Christian or not a Christian at all and want to know more about the Catholic Church and the one true God. If any of these circumstances is like your own, then RCIA is just what you need. RCIA classes typically include presentations, discussions, prayer, and fellowship. Contact a Catholic parish near you today for details and to register. Be certain to tell others and feel free to bring a friend. Welcome back. It's me, Steph. And now that I've done a really poor job educating you on Medjugorje, let's jump into the book, Medjugorje, My Lifelong Journey with Our Lady, Queen of Peace by Penny Abruzis. So in general, this was a pretty interesting read. However, it wasn't as much about Medjugorje as I thought it was going to be. It was much more of an autobiography of Penny's reversion to Catholicism. I think out of the 15 chapters, I think there were about three that were actually about trips to Medjugorje. And this isn't necessarily a problem. It just, it wasn't what I was expecting when I was going into it. And so I think I wasn't in the right headspace for autobiography. So in terms of Penny's story, the book starts out in the first chapter going over the traumatic event in Penny's life that started her on this path back to Jesus through Mary. Her brother, Chucky, had committed suicide. I didn't get an extremely clear understanding of whether it was a complete surprise. As at one point, she said she was absolutely shocked. But then you find out later in the book, she mentions that he had some mental health issues in the past and that they were kind of keeping an eye on him for his, you know, moods and um, just to make sure that he wasn't having as many issues But still, I recognize any type of suicide tends to be shocking and surprising and that people really can't anticipate something like that in their lives. So this leads Penny to start to question her faith, and she begins by going back to Mass. She started praying a decade of the rosary every day, and then she started fasting on Fridays. Um, She was very concerned about what happened to Chucky when he died, and so she wanted to do whatever she could to try to help out Chucky um, with whatever he's handling in the afterlife. And so the entirety of the book follows in this line. Penny continues to add more prayer life, more sacrifice, more sacraments into her life. She goes to Medjugorje with her nephew David and David's father, John, um, to pray for healing. Now, David was very young at the time. He was born with congenital toxoplasmosis, 
um, which damages the central nervous system, the eyes, and the internal organs, especially the lungs, livers, kidneys, intestines, and the heart. He was also diagnosed when he was born with hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain. So he was the reason for the original trip to Medjugorje to try and see if Our Lady could help and heal any of those health issues. While they were there, Penny was invited to be in the apparition room where the visionaries witnessed the apparition of Mary. So they had this table and they would leave all these gifts for Mary to bless. And those in the room were the first to hear the messages once Our Lady had left. One of the messages on the days that they were there was for Penny herself. And it was, Mary gives you hope. This was enough to launch Penny on this journey to change her life. She began fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. She started praying three rosaries a day. At that time, there were the three different sets of mysteries. So she prayed each of those sets a day. She began public speaking on Medjugorje. She began reading about the saints, attending spiritual direction meetings, volunteering at the hospital and at a cerebral palsy center, starting prayer groups, eventually leading groups to Medjugorje on retreats, and just in general kept ministering to those around her. Meanwhile, she was struggling with her own anger and confusion about Chucky and the struggles of those around her. So let's quick talk about the things I didn't super love about this. Um, As I mentioned, it was a lot more autobiographical than I had initially thought. I was hoping for a little bit more about Medjugorje since I am a bit of a newer Catholic. I'm not a cradle Catholic by any means. And so I didn't know much about it in general. And there was not a ton of information included on what was actually happening at the apparitions, which was a little bit confusing for me picking it up. Another thing was I felt it was a very self-focused book. It felt a little bit, and I don't like this word, but I can't think of a better one, braggy at times on all the ways that Penny started doing things that made her more holy. And the book even ends with her talking about trying to get more money to go back and do more with Medjugorje. And so it almost kind of felt like she was asking for money without actually asking for money. Um, She also mentions that she had a reoccurring struggle, but then never once mentioned what it was, which would have been nice since I got to hear all the great things that she was doing, like volunteering, all the different ways of praying. But then I never really found out what she struggles with. Um, So I kind of felt like there was a little bit of disjunct in that. If If I know a lot about how great you are, I'd also like to know about how terrible you are. Um, I feel like that evens it out a little bit. but um, And then in terms of the formatting, there were no references or footnotes in it, which I found very odd. And normally I don't care. But she does mention reading a biography on Padre Pio. And she said it really inspired her and helped initially when she was trying to jumpstart her faith. But then she never mentioned the name of that biography or the author And so there were no footnotes, no references in the back. And I really love a good saint story. So I was really hoping to figure out what that was. I'm sure I can Google search it and find a few very well-written books on Padre Pio. Um, But since she mentioned that this one really jump-started her, I would have loved to know which one that was. Um, There were also a couple of small spelling grammatical errors. Um, At one point, there was a whole paragraph that was in there just at the end of one chapter and then 
exactly pasted in the beginning of the next chapter. Um, Those don't bother me as much because I'm pretty sure this is a very small publisher and publishing houses, I'm sure, don't have um, as many resources for religious books as I would hope that they would. But I believe it's a very small publisher. I had never heard of it before, so I can look past those things. Other than those few things, it was a really interesting read. There were stories on miraculous things that Penny had witnessed, and her dedication to Our Lady's messages was really inspiring. I kept reading and thinking about how little I do in comparison to all the sacraments that she utilizes and just how often. And I really admire the fact that she has figured out what her mission is in life, and she's done a better job embracing that than a lot of people I see and know. And even looking at myself, it's it's hard to figure out what your life is for, what what is your purpose. And it was nice to see that she didn't question it as much as I probably would have. A lot of people sit and try to figure out what their life is about and end up not doing a whole lot with it, or they end up doing a lot that, you know, doesn't necessarily reflect the gifts that they've given. And, you know, she has taken the bull by the horns and she has decided this is what she thinks is her her purpose in life and she's going to keep trying to spread that message to people. And so if you like personal stories about people's conversions or reversions, I think you'll you'll probably like this one. It's not really my cup of tea, especially since I'm skeptical of the validity of Medjugorje, but I'm always happy to learn more about it. So if you're interested in reading this book for yourself, you can check out Amazon um, or the publisher's website, which is onroutebooksandmedia.com. Now, Penny Abruzis also made a film about Medjugorje that is titled God Exists, The Queen of Peace Speaks from Medjugorje. Now, I have not viewed this film. I know of nothing about it. It's mentioned briefly at the end that she that she created a film And so I can't recommend it. I can't not recommend it. So there it is. But I did look and you can purchase it on Amazon. Um, So if you have an interest in the film, you can look on Amazon. And I think that's it for today's show. Um, I am Steph and we'll have another cozy book chat sometime soon here in my little book nook of the radio on Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed. You've been listening to Catholic Conversations. Download our podcasts at catholicspiritradio.com. Welcome to Spirit of Stewardship. Jeremy Belsky is your host for real-life stories, encouragement, and ideas to enhance your own gifts of work, wealth, and wisdom in response to God's blessings for you. Can you recall a time in your life where being told thank you would have made an affirming and positive impact with something you thought deserved recognition? How about the opposite? Have you ever been remiss to thank someone for their stewardship of time, talent, or treasure in serving you, your business, or family? The two simple words, thank you, are a wonderful example of how you can be an improved witness of Christian stewardship. Let's examine the attitude of gratitude. Ponder this question. 
do you feel that if you're not in a position of authority, your thank you will not be as meaningful or valued? Now let me ask you this. How many times were you thanked by your boss at work or a family member at home for the work you did during the past week? I'm here to tell you that as a Christian steward, and more importantly, as a child of God, you have the gift to make another person's day with those two powerful words, thank you. In an age where me first rules, we as Christian stewards have the faith to get out of ourselves by giving thanks and praise to others, most importantly, to God himself. After all, giving thanks to God and those who personally make a difference in your life will make clear the abundant blessings God has shared with you. So even though you may not be thanked and praised for the acts of stewardship you've shared with others, put the devil's temptations of selfishness aside by giving gratitude to others. God sees the goodness of your heart, and that should be your focus rather than what's in it for me. Give thanks and praise to someone today in Christian charity, especially with those two powerful words. Thank you. I'm Jeremy Belsky, your host for Spirit of Stewardship. To learn how you can better share your talents and resources, contact your local parish priest. Your level of involvement in the church now positively impacts our faith in the future. Hello, friends, and thank you for joining us. I'm Father Wade Menezes with another segment of The Crux of the Matter. The Latin Rite Church, both during and after Vatican II, has continued to encourage the use of Latin during Mass. True as this may be, the Church's teaching on this topic has never really seemed to flourish after 1963, the year that the document on the Sacred Liturgy was promulgated by the Second Vatican Council. While it is true that the Second Vatican Council encouraged the vernacular, that is, the mother tongue of different countries, to be employed in the liturgy so as to encourage a greater participation on the part of the faithful gathered together for sacred worship, it was never really intended that the Church's own universal mother tongue, that is, Latin, should be done away with altogether. In fact, Sacrosanctum Concilium, Vatican II's constitution on the sacred liturgy, states that the Latin language is to be preserved in the Latin rites of the Church, and that steps should be taken so that the faithful may also be able to say or to sing together in Latin those parts of the ordinary of the Mass which pertain to them. Examples of the ordinary parts of the Mass would include the Gloria, that is, the glory to God in the highest, the Credo, that is, the Apostles' Creed, the Sanctus, the Holy, 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 the Paternoster, the Our Father, and the Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God. Another important point regarding sacred music. The Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy also states that the Church acknowledges Gregorian chant, which uses Latin, as specially suited to the Roman liturgy, and that as such, it should be given pride of place in liturgical services. This has been another edition of The Crux of the Matter. God bless you. For more information about the teachings of the Catholic Church, go to EWTN.com and click on Faith.